We are uh, continuing part two in our sermon series on the book of, of Haggai. So if you have your Red Pew Bibles, I can flip to page 937. We'll flip over to 938 as well. Fantastic little book. I'm really thrilled just to be doing this with you guys. I, I love just the content of what is happening here. We're talking about uh, just a conversation of, of spiritual renewal. We, we titled this um, casual, uh, Resisting Casual Christianity and Rebuilding Our Life with God. I could have called it many things, but you know, it's, it's really also a different way to say it would be, you know, resisting, you know, like a cruise control kind of faith and pursuing true spiritual renewal in our lives and within this church as this early audience here um, many centuries ago uh, were, were uh, confronted with through the prophet Haggai. Um, as you flip in there, tell a brief story. Um, we'll finish the story at the end of our sermon as well, but there was a, a Dutch artist in the 1800s, uh, Northern Europe, who, who gave his life to his art. The problem was, Nobody liked his art, but he gave his life to it. He had some family that uh, encouraged him in it, um, but no one paid attention to it, and his art began stacking up by the hundreds and crates as the years went by. Depression set in after so many years. After his daily devotion, thinking, you know, I, I really thought I could, I could do this, and nobody paid attention, nobody cared. When they saw his work, they kind of blew it off. He began writing letters to his brother, stating things like, I feel that I am a failure. I feel that's the fate that I'm accepting, and that's not going to change anymore. Most people would have said, ah, you might be on to something. Maybe you should find a new career, right? Um, upon his death, his family was left with crates and crates of his paintings. They couldn't even give them away. His mom threw away many of them. Uh, other friends used his paintings for target practice to cover holes in their chicken pen. There's more of the story as we'll close at the end. But what do we do when your work seems to be producing nothing? What do we do when you're laboring towards something, but the results seem to be completely absent? As we look at this book of, of Haggai, if, as we look at this topic of rebuilding our lives with God, seeking renewal, seeking this kind of cruise control, cruise control casual faith, you know, I, we are in the midst of a, a, of a in our culture today, people deeply desire, if you use the word spiritual formation, use the word of, of spiritual growth, even secular people would say, yeah, I would like spiritual growth. I want that, right? I want to grow as a person. I want to um, um, increase my, my love for others. Like these are, I, I listen to, pod, I'm a podcast junkie, okay? I, I saw I listen to these days. And I listen to every podcast under the sun, and this is, this is kind of the hot conversations of today, right? Um, we, we actually, funny enough, and there's lots of moral chaos in our culture today, there's also a huge hunger for, for morality today, 
to be loving people and to be shaped by love ourselves as we engage our neighbors in love. Um, meditation has become something that's becoming more and more popular in our secular post-Christian world. The idea of meditation in this context is when you feel stuck, when you feel like there's nothing being you know, produced in your life and you're laboring, you're just kind of like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the result is and to, to resist you know, depression or resist these things, this meditation is, is mentioned as a opportunity to, to develop more self-awareness, right? To say, you know, um, I, I'm recognizing those negative feelings, but I want to focus on the things I can be thankful for and focus on the things that I, I, I can do in reverse and kind of a deeper awareness of, of our lives. And to some degree, that's, those are always helpful exercises, right? But there's, there's still something missing that will always kind of make that pursuit incomplete. And it's a complete kind of self-reliance that says, I, I can reverse this. Right, all you know. If I if I if I sit and I I focus on what my heart really wants, I focus on what I'm really feeling, and I just can find ways to satisfy those things. Then yeah, I, I can reverse that, so I can I can become unstuck in life. This is a common path in our secular thinking, and and in many ways, these these people in this story of, of Haggai the prophet, um, they were stuck themselves. But we're going to see a different a whole different answer provided as to how to get unstuck with our work in life as we're seeking um, our own spiritual formation, right? Um, what is the way out of this? How does uh, Christianity provide a, a far superior path to become unstuck in life? Um, let's dive into this. So the context, just to remind you in Haggai, um, is they were living in the promised land but they did not rebuild the temple. They had their paneled homes, things were going well, but they were satisfied with kind of one foot in their life with God, but one foot kind of in their own, right, doing their own thing. And um, we looked at the Moses and how when, when Moses, many centuries before, was called to go to the promised land, and God, in one moment of just frustration, said against his people who kept sinning, he said, I'm, I'm not going with you, Moses, but you're free to go. Moses said, I don't wanna go then. Because what's this promised land if your presence isn't going with us? I don't want to go there if you're not going, God. But these exiles had went back after they had been kicked out of the land some decades before. They returned and they did go to the promised land, but they had not been actually seeking to cultivate the presence of God among them by rebuilding the temple where his very spirit would inhabit. And so they did the opposite of what Moses didn't want to do, Right? And so Haggai, last week we saw, he came and he, he kind of rallied the troops. He said, guys, it's, it's time. It's time for spiritual renewal. It's time to pursue the presence of God in this promised land and not pursue the rebuilding of your own homes and look to rebuild the very house of God. And so the Spirit stirred them. They went for the work and they began laboring. And that's where we pick up the story here in chapter two. And so here's where we are in verse one of chapter two. And Haggai is very specific. So I'm gonna read this date, but it's actually October 17th is when this story took place. That's how specific we can get here. On the 21st day of the seventh month, October 17th, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, 
Who is left who saw this house, this temple in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it seem like nothing to you? So they labored, they worked, and they labored and they worked, right? They started laying some bricks. Maybe the foundation was laid, right? The first stage of rebuilding had been engaged. But apparently, as they were rebuilding, many of them were kind of like, man, this, this doesn't look like anything of what this building used to look like. Because remember the story, it was torn down decades before, right? And Solomon, who built the first temple, I mean, it was an extravagant, it was one of the ancient wonders of the world in its beauty, right? Just outlaid with gold, ginormous structure, right? This thing was, it was absolutely just beautiful and lavish. And as they were rebuilding, right, you, you kind of sense the almost like despondency a little bit within between the lines here, right? Some of these people, it, it was only about 60-ish years um, prior, okay? So some people, they were advanced in age, but they remembered what the former temple looked like. And here they were building what they were building today, and many were like, this doesn't compare. Like, what is this? Right? They were looking back and they got a little bummed out. They were looking back, looking in their day today, and they were discouraged to say the least, right? How can we, you know, rebuild something that can be even a glimpse of what this thing used to be, right? Um so in our in our society today, if 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 we or doing something like that, okay, and we, we start engaging in some nostalgia or something, and we start looking backwards, and we compare our work today, and we start feeling that kind of despondency, right? Some, some answers would be, well, battle the negative feelings, you know, be thankful for the resources you do have, and find the strength to keep going, right? And that may be a message you may come across, right? Just keep working, keep working, keep working. Um, and there's a better way to approach this, okay? And we're going to look at, but I'm going to look at four options, that I think Christians often do when we find ourselves trying to seek spiritual renewal, trying to rebuild our life with God and times that we get stuck. This is kind of the things that we do when we get stuck. The first one is we kind of do what they were doing here. Um, We kind of look back and enjoy the good old days, right? We put down our hammers for a minute and we reminisce Many of you have been following Jesus for some years. Maybe you have a, a period in life that was just, you know, golden, right? And um, you were just vibrant in your faith. And some of you who have been a part of this church for decades remember where there wasn't a pew empty in here, you know? And it was a thousand plus people in attendance here many decades ago. And you remember those years, right? And then today you're laboring, you're just like, it's, this is nothing like that. But I'm just on a sit and just remember and enjoy, right? And just engage in nostalgia, right? Maybe, you know, you have that period in your life that was sweet and it was peaceful and today it's, it's not the case, right? And so instead of really, you know, looking at today, you kind of just look back and you start living in the past, right? The good old days. Um, option number two is what we can often do is when we feel ourselves stuck, um, we can just say, well, I just need to know more. This is what I like to call read more books Christianity, okay? We can just information stuff ourselves out of 
our spiritual funk, if you will. All I need is that right theology book by that one author that, you know, um, I'm here to tell you that I don't care how many books you have on your shelf, like that's not an image of how much you are like Jesus as a Christian, okay? Um, I have a lot of books in in my office and there's no image that's like, oh, wow, that guy's like super holy because look at all his books. Like people really kind of think that way, you know, and that's not the kind of faith I want to guide you into. But you should read books, by the way. Like, that's super good. I'm a bookie. I get it. Like, please engage in books and really read this guy all the time. But you can't necessarily just read your out, you know, stuff yourself full of information to get yourself out of that position, right? Um, we can't cultivate God's presence in our lives in full by just simply information transfer, okay? But then option number three is just to kind of get used to being stuck, get used to that place, <clears throat> Where you're looking, you're like, this isn't what it used to be, but whatever. I'm just going to like numb myself to this state and just kind of live in it. Because really getting out of it is hard, as we're going to see. It's challenging. It's tough. But it's actually easier just to stay there. So I'm just going to stay there. That's like on the highway when your foot gets tired and you don't want to keep hitting the gas right on the highway. So what do you have in your steering wheel? Cruise control. That's easy. I just want to hit that button. I just want to cruise where we're at, okay? That's option number three, okay? There's a numbing that happens in there. It's minimal effort towards seeking God's presence in our life, towards rebuilding our life with God, and just being okay with whatever results are there because you're tired, you know, you don't feel like really doing that kind of effort that you maybe put in at some other time in your life. And truthfully, Maybe you don't really want Jesus bringing too much disruption to your life. You don't really want him to show up and bring too much disruption, so you'd rather just kind of have the one foot in and be chilling, right? And then the last option here is, well, is what Paul actually called, and many other, uh, in different ways, biblical authors called it spiritually powerless Christianity. There's many ways this can take place, but one way I want to emphasize is some people just say, I want to just... I'm going to work, though, and just work as if I can fix this. Like, I'm going to work as if I can just kind of bring myself into the next stage and and take on all of this work as if it belongs only to me. And you just work, and you work, and you work, and you exhaust yourself because, as we're going to see, you forgot that it's not just your work, that our life with God is not just yours to, to work it, but there is a the Holy Spirit is available who's offering us his co-work, as the scriptures point us toward. We're going to talk about that for the rest of our time now, that it is actually God working in you through his spirit as we rebuild our life with God. But there's, there's little hope in these options. There's little effort in any of these to actually seek God and his presence through his spirit, but they're easy options, right? They're easy options, they are the Christian version of that, um, I don't know, was it Staples? Was it Staples? The red easy button? You remember that? So, you know, such effective marketing there. We all know that. But it's like those are the Christian versions of that easy button. It's just like, that's easy. I'll just rather choose that, right? And I got to say, like, we live in an age of the tyranny of convenience, okay? We live in an age of the tyranny and convenience. It's far easier to do those things, just to reminisce in the past, right? Rather than be on your knees crying out to God in prayer. It's really easier to maybe just read a book and feel accomplished than get on your knees before him. 
So it'd be easier to be comfortable with cruising at whatever speed you're at right now. Maybe easier just to keep working and not really lean on the help that is available to us in the Holy Spirit. Haggai wanted to point them in a whole different direction, a far superior, more encompassing direction of how to find the spiritual renewal they were seeking, okay? And he begins walking them through it. This is a little bit of an overlap from last week, this first point. But in verse four, we see the first thing here. He calls them to become aware of God's presence now because he is with you. He was with them and he is with you now. This is what he says in verse four. He says, but now, like I get it, look at that. This is not looking like the one that Solomon built. You guys are working your hardest, it's looking pretty lame. I see that, okay? And actually, you can read this, this account in Ezra when they were rebuilding the temple and it actually were complete later on. There was as much crying and mourning as there was celebrating because some were thinking, what, what is this? You know, this isn't what it was, you know, and, and it, it was a mixture of emotions that were found there. But he says, you know, I, I get what you're looking at. It's not much, but he says, but now be strong, O Zerubbabel, verse four, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. But wait, if he's with us, wouldn't this work then be more? And that's the tension so often in our lives, right? Well, I thought if he'd be with us and I would be able to actually like just all the time just see, you know, the, the kind of results of, of God showing up in my life and things changing, but nothing's changing. So this temple is looking pretty weak. Our work is looking pretty, pretty insignificant, but you're with us? What is, the use, what is the use of God being with me when I don't maybe feel like he is or when it doesn't maybe look like he is? The Psalms are full of these kind of complaints to God, right? Because we, we experience this constantly. Psalm one, uh, 41 verse 9, okay, I say to God, my rock, his, 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 you know, his, his hope, his, his very stone which he casts all his faith onto, this rock, he says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Okay, and that's a very human response to this. God, I know you're here, you're my rock, but where are you? Like seriously, have you shown up? Are you really here? I mean, I know you're here, but really, are you? It's that tension. And he says, and God says, well, do you trust me here? Do you really have your faith that I am with you even if right now you don't feel like I am? Faith is needed to overcome your feelings. In our day and age, I can't say it enough, you have to be so, just so much more skeptical of your own feelings than our culture says that you, sh that you shouldn't be, right? Be skeptical of how you feel. Because how you feel, there's a really good chance of how you're feeling is not a true reflection of reality. But man, our culture would have you say, no, how you feel is reality. And here's a call in scripture to say, no, faith says that God is with you even when you don't feel like it. You know what that does though? It girds us with, with strength to say, oh, okay, so that means that I don't have to live in my feelings or respond to my own feelings in that regard, that I'm actually casting my hope and faith on someone outside of me that can actually help me. Oh, okay, so I can't trust my feelings. And he says to this people in the land, yes, you're looking at your work. That's right, but, but, but God is with you 
even if you don't feel like it. You guys track with me this morning. This is so important to emphasize in 2022. You guys with me? The second here is to find a healthy way to draw hope from the past. A healthy way, right? Because reminiscing about the past and just living in the past is unhealthy. Scripture doesn't call us to live in the past, but it does call us to remember and to draw hope from the past. Verse five, this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, centuries and centuries and centuries before. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. What was that covenant? In Deuteronomy, it's very clear. I'm with you and I will not forsake you. I covenanted that with you. In my spirit, because of that covenant, it remains with you. Do not fear. That's not reminiscing, guys. That's not engaging in like the nostalgia of missing, you know, like I miss Blockbuster too, you know? Those of us who are old enough to remember Blockbuster and, and being so bummed when like Jurassic Park that just got released wasn't there. It was just an empty little plastic box. Of, oh, that's not there. You know, like I remember those days, okay? I miss those days too, you know? Or, you know, but we can't live in the past, but we can identify where God's work was in the past and know that the scriptures testify that he is an unchanging God who from one year to the next does not change. He is not sifting like the shadows out there. He is the one and the same God for all of time. And if he were to shut up in the past, we can look and draw hope that says maybe right now it doesn't feel like he's there, but he is the same God who showed up in the past. He is the same God who covenanted and promised that I'm not leaving you, that he is not leaving us. Therefore, right now I draw hope and I stand firm that he is with me. And the third is to find hope in the future. In verse six, this is the prophetic kind of proclamation here coming from Haggai to speak to this people. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, in a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake the nations and the desired of all nations will come And this little insignificant house you're building, I'm going to fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I'm going to grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. So then now the future becomes a place where we draw hope from. And this is where the story leads us to Jesus and who Jesus was. And his story begins filling the gaps here in what Haggai was pointing these people towards. You see, Israel was working to rebuild their life with God by pursuing his presence among them through rebuilding the temple, right? He, he told them that, uh, that their present work was just laying a foundation for a temple that would far exceed anything that Solomon in the previous generation had built and had enjoyed. The past work of God on Israel's history would be far exceeded through the work that they are presently doing. He had something bigger in mind. They just had a part to play in a larger story that may or may not even take place in their lifetime. But he's saying, you're, you're playing a role, guys. In this grand story, there's something much greater on the horizon. 
But what was God talking about? I want to fast forward about 450 years or ish. Can we do that? Rome had annexed the promised land. The Roman Empire took it over, right? Now, the temple had been rebuilt, and a Roman ruler uh, with a complicated uh, history with the Jews was named Herod, Herod the Great. You remember our Christmas stories? This was him. He became ruler of the land beneath Rome. He used the power and the wealth and greatness of Rome to create one of the most magnificent structures ever to have been built by human hands. He rebuilt the very temple that these people in Haggai laid the foundation for. It was a 50-year project. It was enormous, right? Um, The foundation was so ginormous, it's still there today. Like, I've walked on it. If you've been to Jerusalem and walk where the Dome of the Rock is, that's the temple foundation that was built by this guy, Herod, right? It's essentially impossible to tear down. But was that all that God had in mind when he said the glory of this temple would be better and larger than the former's? Was that it? It was bigger. It was better. But when Jesus showed up, he began saying some very interesting things. Early on in his ministry in the Gospel of John, Jesus went to the temple He had a whip and he cleared out the temple. We talked about this before here. From people who were buying and selling in the temple improperly, he briefly stopped all the sacrifices in the temple rituals, right? And he made a very important statement to the religious rulers of the day. Beginning in verse 18 in John chapter two, this is what Jesus says. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Like, who are you to come in and wipe the temple clean of all this stuff? Like, do you have authority over this place? Who has authority over the temple? Like, who are you? Who do you think you are? That's how we would say it today. And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. I will raise it again in three days. Now, their common sense response would be, you must be kind of loony. Like, you know, 46 years to build this temple, Jesus, in verse 20. It took that many decades. And you're going to raise it in three days? Okay, this guy must, after all, be insane. But the temple he had spoken of, this is John's little commentary, the temple he had spoken of was his body. Verse 22, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. They believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So the temple he spoken of was a temple of his body. Interesting. What was he pointing toward? But again, the temple was ultimately a symbol that God was with his people. It was supposed to be a glimpse of kind of like heaven breaking into earth, like return to Eden kind of thing. God's presence is here on this earth again. But his actual presence was still in the Holy of Holies, a special room in the back of the temple, guarded by a curtain that was about this thick, okay? And you couldn't just stroll in there because we were, people were sinners and a, a unclean sinner cannot just walk in the actual presence of God without being smited, right? They would tie rope to uh, the priest's leg when he would enter there the few times a year that he had to for sacrificial purposes. In case he wasn't clean, it would have to be drug out of there, right? He can't just stroll in. So he was with them, but there was still like a division between God and his people and surrounded by all these complicated rituals that you can't just approach God. But Jesus was talking about the temple, said it was about to be destroyed, which it was in a few decades from Jesus' time. He said, I'm going to rebuild it in three days. Now, you remember when Haggai said, in a little while, I will once more shake the heavens, shake the earth, the sea, and the dry land. Something happened when Jesus breathed his last on the cross. Matthew tells us two things happened simultaneously. 
in Matthew 27 to 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks split. Tombs broke open. Bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city, appeared to many people. Verse 54, when the centurion and those who were standing next to the cross of Christ as he died, um, who were guarding Jesus, they, they saw the earthquake. They saw the earth literally shake. And they exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. In a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, said Haggai. Inside the temple, we often talk about, you know, when we see this curtain rip that we have access to God now, well, in a way, we can kind of look at it as if the presence of God began to break out, right? The presence of God began to break out of the Holy of Holies because of what Jesus did, because of his payment for all sin, for all time, opened up the way to freely have access to God, freely have access to his presence. He was, in a way, all that the temple was, all that the temple pointed towards, Jesus Christ was. When that curtain split, the need for the temple was completely eradicated. God can now be accessed, but the issue was initially, Jesus was dead, okay? In the three days, said Jesus, the temple would be rebuilt. And what happened three days later? That tomb bust open and Jesus walks out in a temple, if you will, that far exceeded the glory of the former, the temple of his resurrected flesh that took on the imperishable, that future work of God when he renews all the creation and all are raised up from the dead for judgment, some to eternal life, some to everlasting condemnation. And that single day, it kind of just showed up in the resurrection of Christ as a kind of down payment for what is to come. And Jesus broke out of that grave in a temple that was just so much better than his perishable flesh than before. And he was raised to eternal life physically, but he didn't stay on this earth. If you remember, wherever God's presence was found, if you remember the story of Jacob you looked at last week, where God's presence was found is a glimpse of the very gates of heaven, where, 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 where heaven is found, where God is found. So Jesus was the temple, but he ascended this earth back to heaven and intended to build the even superior dwelling place on earth for himself. He sent his spirit down on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, who began filling all of those who repented of their sin and who cried out to Jesus for salvation, for hope. His spirit began filling them. God's presence began filling them. He began making their home with people. The Holy Spirit sealing them forever in their salvation. And later, this is how Peter would then describe the church. If you're a Christian this morning, you. This is how Peter describes you. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 6. As you come to him, come to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. This is the NIV, his little footnote there. Some of your translations probably translate it as temple because that's what the word means as well. A house for God, a temple. You are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Friends, you are the temple today. God has made his home with you if you know Jesus this morning. And this is some of the best news available to the world. That God's presence has, has broken out all over the world and shows up wherever there's a little group of Christians meeting and worshiping and praying and seeking after Jesus. His presence is there. And by, you know, extension, a glimpse of heaven should be found there right? A glimpse of God's future work is found in our lives today when we are gathered and worshiping him, right? Even now today, you are being built up. The work is a process. It's not like it's completely done. God is not done with you. He is still building you up. Peter used like an active verb to talk about that. You are being built up into his spiritual house. So I want to rewind now. You guys with me? You guys tracking? Let's rewind to these poor returned exiles during Haggai's time, swinging their hammers. Do you think they saw all of this? Right? They had a part to play in God's story that brought about that amazing end to where this, the temple, yeah, this, this temple's a global temple now, wherever his people are. What, a, what an amazing thing. And he was communicating that the work you're doing is only just one little puzzle piece in a part that you don't even understand yet but I need you to play your part. I need to use you, I want to use you. Get to work, you have a part to play and it's going too far, just be amazing and maybe you won't even see it, but I need you to labor today. In other words, right, our third point here ultimately is that we find hope in the future work of God as you labor today, even if that work is unseen. In faith, we know God has something planned and I have a part to play. So can we begin taking all this home for some, some practical application, if you will? If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, you are a part of his plan, part of his story, and a part of his work in this world. Scripture testifies to this. Um, just last week, you know, my children, I think, I think I'm kind of the one that busted it open. I tripped on their clothes, though. It wasn't quite my fault. Somebody's butt went through the wall in my house. Anybody who has little boys or girls, you know, little kids, that happens, right? Just go through the wall. Um, so I had a huge hole I had to repair in my wall, right? So I'm trying to do my wonderful sheetrock work, which I'm horrible at. And as I'm piecing it together, you know, just making observations, you know, I see the bricks, like right there, just right there. And there's, you know, uh, the plaster and there's the wood and there's the, the old insulation, there's the bricks. And I just had the, the thought, you know, it's like, if one of those bricks was missing, like outdoor air would just be like flying in to my house. Like every brick matters in my house, right? Every one of you matters in the Lord's house. This is the whole point of Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, right? You all have a part to play in this body of Christ. You need to embrace it, even if the results or the, the obviousness of what that might be isn't quite in front of you yet. He says, no, I, I, I need you to play your part. And I will empower you for the task. Those swinging their hammers in Haggai's day have made the mistake that they were only swinging a hammer. 
that the lame result appeared to be nothing, but little did they know that they were paving the way for the Messiah himself to come to this earth. Little could they see that God was with them, and little could they see that he was bringing about his glorious purposes through them. And he was trying to push them to say, be zealous, friends, right? You need to be zealous because I'm zealous for my work, and I want to use you to accomplish it, so do not lose heart. You need to see things from my perspective. Without that perspective, we can fall into despondency and say, I can't do this work, so I won't. But when we have faith that God can meet us and will meet us, and once again, there's more promises left that he has not accomplished yet in this world, that he will do a grand and mighty work through us today to bring about. He can bring about spiritual renewal to us today, even to this church today, to this community today, because remember, Peter phrased his words that he's still working. You are being built up into this house. God, by the work of Jesus, through his spirit, he's still building you up. He is still bringing you and building you into his dwelling place right now. And if we believe that, if we really honestly just believe those words and in faith walk in obedience to him, we can reverse our despondency and say, I can't, rather than saying, I can't, I want, it can turn into, I can't. But he can, so I will. And say it one more time. When you feel stuck, you think, I cannot do this. I want more of Jesus, but I don't know, I just feel stuck. He had to remind these people over and over, I'm with you, I'm with you, you're not alone, you're not alone. We come to the realization that says, I can't, but he can Therefore, I will. Alerting us to the future that awaits, the Lord will draw us forward by a magnetic hope and thus girds us for present faithfulness because our labor is not in vain. To finish the story of that artist that we began with, at the end of his life, he suffered from deep depression, even mental illness, poverty. His brother was still trying to help him and encourage him and, you know, to paint, but just kind of keep him alive in many ways. The artist died from uh, his own wounds to himself, and he died in nobody. Much of his life's work, his art was thrown away by his mother, friends using for target, target practice, as we said. Only once in the last few years of his life did a few of his paintings find a display at a prominent art um, studio in Paris. But to make a long story short, his sister-in-law... She saw something in them that nobody else did. And after her brother-in-law passed away, she devoted herself to showing, revealing to the world this man's painting. She worked tirelessly to bring her deceased brother-in-law's art into the world. Her brother-in-law was named Vincent Van Gogh, whose paintings now sell for 20, 50, or even $100 million. And even there's a painting that's so beautiful like when he painted he the color yellow for him was life it was hope and he, he repainted the resurrection of Lazarus and he put his own face on Lazarus and it's just a a brilliant display of yellow just beaming forth right as he hoped for his own redemption one day but here's the idea God's grand story of redemption isn't over yet read the end of your Bibles there's more to come friends right the chapter has not closed the gates of heaven are still open right now and we are still called as ambassadors to be engaging in this work and to even high, have high expectations of the work of God in our own lives. It's not a closed book, right? 
Jesus will return to make all things new, to once again, uh, read this again, right? He, he will redeem and, and, and heal this world of all of its brokenness and all of its sickness and diseases and addictions. There is a, a time that will come when all those things are gone and behold, he will make all things new. But now we are called by the power of the spirit of God and by the good news of Jesus to continually labor to bring a glimpse of that future into our time today. I don't wanna settle for a powerless faith, friends. I don't wanna just go by the motions. I wanna be afraid if we work and we think, what, what are we working towards? This looks like nothing, right? There's a hundred of us in this room, what is this, right? I don't wanna fall into despondence because I know what he can do and what he will do. I know what he has done. And therefore today, we will pick up our hammers. We will not lose faith. I don't care how old you are or how young you are in this room, right? I just read about a revival that broke out in Northern Scotland on the backs of two 85-year-old women who prayed and prayed for renewal to come, and it did. These two older women, the story's amazing. I forgot the Scottish word for the place. Go look it up. It's, you know, two women, Scottish revivals. Amazing story. God can still use you. I want to bring up the worship team at this time. This is our, our ministry time um, as, we, as we close today where we, we exercise our anticipation of God's work that he has possibly even done in your hearts this morning as you sat here through our worship, through our time in the word. So um, if that's you and the Lord stirred your heart, I ask that you would come forward. We'll have people available for prayer up here. Jesus, I ask that if you stirred in this room for those who may just be yearning to see your spirit transform them, to give them newness of life, to bring them to be unstuck where they are, would I pray that they would respond to you this morning, that you would bring refreshment to their souls, encouragement to them, that we would be able to pray for them. Lord, I just pray that you would, your spirit would work in this time, Lord that wherever your, your, your voice has spoken in this room and, and uh, the, the people that you worked in, that they would not leave without responding, Lord. Holy Spirit, come in this time and minister to your people. We thank you that you have not left us, you have not forsaken us, and there's hope for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.